Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. I know that last week and most weeks, I want you to bring your Bibles and we, you know, I want you to open them and follow along and write and highlight and things like that. Today is one of the rare times when I'm going to tell you just fold that baby up, set it aside, because I'm going to be in all kinds of different verses. I'm using all different kinds of translations today, and it would be a nightmare for you to try to keep up with this. I'm going to put everything on the wall for you. You'll be able to see it all, so you can just you can close your Bible up, because it's, it's, it'd be really hard for you to follow along today, I think. If you want to take that as a challenge, be my guest, all right? Um, we continue a series that we started last week called Worship from A to Z. We're going through the alphabet, and we're taking each letter, and we're giving it a word that associates with worship. Everything you do in life can be associated, can, can be a, a form of, of worship if you understand the motivation behind it. The Bible tells us to worship God continually. Now, you can't sing continually. You can't, you can't, there's a lot of things that we do in here that you can't do continually, but you can worship continually. Last week, we talked about how to worship and, and that worship is the antidote to worry. Well, today I want to talk about the fact that when that when you um, are wounded, you can also have that as an antidote to being wounded. This this idea of worship. We looked last week in the story of Second Chronicles twenty. It's Jehoshaphat, and he's got these guys that are coming after him. Um, his army is about to be attacked by three different armies. That's not never a good thing. And um, what he does is he worships. And what we learn is that worship wins the war. You, you have really two choices to make. You can worry or you can worship. And Jehoshaphat chose to, to wor- uh, worship instead of worry, and, and because of that, things turned out okay for him. We looked at six different aspects of worship. I want to show those to you, just recap them real quick. Asking, believing, confessing, depending, expressing, and finding. Now today, I want us to look at how to worship when you're wounded when you're wounded. And we all get wounded in life, and I'm not just talking about physically. Um, All of us in here are broken. Isn't that true? We're all just kind of a train wreck and a mess. We're all emotionally, spiritually, relationally wounded. In fact, those wounds many times are deeper than physical wounds. When when we were kids, we were taught a little rhyme, weren't we? And, And all of you in here know it. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And that's great. It's just not true. Okay? It's just not true. Because here's what I know about me and probably about you. I don't remember um, the scrapes and cuts that I got when I was climbing trees or playing baseball or, or football or any number of games that we played in the backyard when I was growing up. I don't remember. Um, I've got a scar on my shin from where I ran into a five-gallon bucket full of cement. That was a lot of fun. But I don't really, I don't remember a whole lot about that. What I do remember is the bully who picked on me and called me names. And that hurt. And I didn't like that. I do remember the coach that yelled and said things that I really would rather not have heard, didn't like that. I, we remember that stuff, right? We can remember things, you might, there might be something that maybe your dad said one time and you're like, man, dad, really wish you hadn't said that. I mean, there's, there's, there's things that happen in our life where people say things to us, the words can hurt us. And so what do you do when you're wounded? And again, just as worship was the antidote to worry, worship is the antidote to being wounded. So today I want to look at five other aspects, G-H-I-J-K, yes, I do know my alphabet. Uh, we're going to look at grieving, honoring, invoking, joining, and keeping on. Today we're going to look at the life of Job as an example. Now Job was an extremely wealthy man. 
He was a wise man, and he was a good man. And one day, in 24 hours, he lost everything. He lost his, his wealth, he lost his family, and then eventually loses his health. He came down with a very terrible, painful, incurable disease. He basically goes in one day from a hero to a zero, and he is deeply wounded physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. He is wounded. This guy's a mess. And in the book of Job, it tells us a story of how he worshiped instead of becoming bitter. And then later on, God restores him and restores, basically doubles everything that he had uh, that he started with. So in Job 36, it says this, hard times and trouble are God's way of getting our attention. And at this very moment, God deeply desires to lead you from trouble, you're going to like this, and to spread your table with your favorite food. Now, when I read that, I have visions of Krispy Kremes and Rick's Barbecue and pizza. That's, that's what I envision, okay? Um, I like that last part of the verse. That's a, that's a good one. The, the point is that whenever you're wounded by someone else or a circumstance, God is willing to turn that situation around and help you through it, help you grow, and to provide a blessing in your life. And what he's saying is that the most important time for you to worship is when your heart is breaking. Now, that's not when you feel like worshiping. You don't feel like worshiping when your heart is breaking, but that's what you're going to learn today is that that's the best, that's what you need to do the most when your heart is breaking. When you feel crushed, when you're in crisis, when you're confused, when life seems out of control for you, in your darkest hour, that's when you most need to turn to God, not away from him. But you need to turn to God and let him help you. Now, how do you do that? How do you connect with God in a crisis. Some of you have had crisis this week. Some of you have been through stuff this week that you did not anticipate, and you have carried wounds throughout the week. Maybe you've been carrying wounds throughout your whole life, and you've never been able to get over them. If you will do what we're going to talk about today, you will find relief. You'll find freedom. You'll find a new way of, of, of healing your heart and the wounds that have hurt you over and over again. So how do you do it? Well, the, the first thing you do when you're wounded, we're going to start with G. G is grieve. That's the first thing you got to do. you got to grieve, and that means you got to tell God exactly how you feel. Whenever you go through a crisis, whenever you've been hurt, when someone has said something bad to you or about you, and you've been unfairly criticized, tell God exactly how you feel. Unload your feelings. And did you know that when you start telling God your feelings and you're honest with him and you trust him that you are actually worshiping God, even when your feelings are negative. Job 1 starts off in verse 20 like this, Job stood up and tore his robe in grief. Now that is a a Middle Eastern symbol of frustration and anger and deep grief and sorrow. Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, then he shaved his head and fell to the ground to worship. When we're wounded, we're almost always going to feel four emotions. First of all, we feel anger. We ask the question, why is this happening to me? I don't like this. We get angry at the person who hurt us or who allowed us to be hurt. We feel shock. We say things like, I can't believe this is happening to me. We feel grief. We start asking, what have I lost? What relationship? What, what, have I lost credibility? Have I lost my confidence? What am I missing? What have I lost? And then we feel fear. We start asking, what's going to happen next? When you feel those four things, anger, shock, grief, and fear, 
You know what you should do? You should tell God about it. You need to just sit down and tell God about it. That's one of the ways you worship God is by telling him exactly how you feel. God did not make your body to hold and keep negative emotion. He never intended for you to carry that your whole life. And when you swallow your anger and you swallow your depression and your bitterness and your confusion and your fear, when you swallow all of that down, your stomach keeps score. And if you don't talk it out with God, you are going to take it out on your body. It's a healthy, healthy thing for you to worship God by telling him what's on your mind and what's hurting you. Your body was not meant to carry repressed emotions. God did not design you that way. And so what do you do when you have all these emotions and you just, maybe you just lost a loved one or you're, you're overwhelmed with, with feelings or a crisis or loneliness or fear or depression, any number of things that could touch any one of us in this room right now. Maybe you've lost your job or you've discovered that somebody hasn't been as good a friend as you had hoped that they would be. I mean, it could be any number of things. What do you do? You don't repress it. That's like, that's like taking, you know when you were a kid and you had a Coke bottle and you shook it, a can of Coke, and then you hand it to your buddy to let him open it, right? Uh, that's what you're doing when you suppress things and when you keep it down and you repress it. And, and you've got to be careful even expressing yourself sometimes because sometimes when you're really hurt and you begin to express it, it's just like, blah, all over everybody else. And oftentimes they don't understand and you hurt someone else in the process. No, you confess your emotions. You tell God. You say, God, I don't like this. This stinks. I, I, I don't, this doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know what I'm going through. I don't like what I'm going through right now. You know what? God can handle that. He can handle that. The reason you have emotions is that God gave them to you. He made you in his image. That's one of the things that separates us from all the other animals. The reason you have emotions is that God has emotions. The Bible says that, that God loves, that God gets angry, gets jealous, he grieves. You're made in his image. And God can handle the things that you say. God, when you say, God, this is the way I feel. I've had you come into my office and said, Brett, I just feel like I'm shaking my fist at God. You know what? God can handle, he's a big God. He can handle that. You're not going to hurt his feelings. He can handle your doubt, your fear, your anxiety, your anger, your questions, your grief, that stuff doesn't scare God away. It doesn't make him mad. It doesn't, doesn't make him cross his arms and look away from you like he's never going to talk to you again. One thing you have to like about Job is that he was completely honest and authentic with God. In Job chapter 7, it says, I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. My bitter soul must complain. I can't keep quiet. I, I got to speak. I'm angry. And I'm bitter. He's just being honest. As you read the book of Job, when you start off, he's confused. And then as the book goes on and things start happening, he starts to complain to God. And as it goes on a little further, he just starts accusing God. He says, God, this isn't right. This isn't fair. And God handled it. Well, you say, well, well you know, why, why wouldn't God get upset? Because in Job's complaining, he never stopped trusting God. He never stopped. He questioned God. He got mad at God. But he kept trusting God. What I'm saying is this. When you're wounded, the correct response is not to grin and bear it and stuff it down. There are basically two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are confronters. 
who when something hits them, they deal with it. They, they, they don't let it dwell. They don't push it down. They don't hide it. They, they deal with it. And then there are the rest of us, and I'm one of these, and I'm not proud of this, but this is the way I'm wired. I'm a stuffer. If you do something to me, you probably, if you hurt me, I'm probably going to do my dead level best to not let you know that you've hurt me. I'm going to absorb it, and I'm going to stuff it down. And I'm just telling you right now, I know that about me, but I also know it's not healthy. And I know that that's not what God wants. What God wants is when that kind of stuff happens, I don't know that he necessarily wants me to take it out on somebody else, but he wants me to come to him and say, God, this is what's going on in my world, and I don't understand it, and I'm hurt by it, I'm confused by it, I can't figure it out. More than anything else, God wants you and me to be honest with him about what's going on in here. He never intended for you to keep all that stuff to yourself. Now, (laughs) I'm sure this has never happened to any of you other parents in the room, but sometimes my children have questioned my judgment. (laughs) Shocking, isn't it? I know, I know. I don't think they ever question that, that I love them. I think they know that for sure. I, I, I know that they don't really question how long I've been on the planet because they remind me of that from time to time. But sometimes they question my judgment. Sometimes they question my wisdom. But you know what? I would rather have a heartfelt conversation with one of my kids where they're questioning my judgment or my wisdom than I would for them to not talk to me. I think I speak for every father in the room. Now, there might be moments when the game's on and we'd, we'd really like them to wait for a commercial or something, but we probably don't say that out loud. There might be moments when, you know, they're so irrational and they've been asking you the same thing for so long that you just wish they'd stop asking that. But by and large, most of the time in our lives, am I right, fathers? Your kids cannot do something that makes you think, I don't want them to talk to me. You never get to a point where you think, I, I'm not interested in what's going on at a heart level with my kids. I don't, if they're upset about something, if they're upset with me, I would rather know about it. I'd rather know what it is that's bothering them than for them to keep that to themselves and to stay quiet about it. God feels that way too. He would rather you say, God, I have doubts about this. I don't get this. This is not making any sense to me and struggle with him about it than he would that you hold it in. Even at the end of the book of Job, God, in front of Job's friends, praises Job. And he says, you know what I really, really like about this guy? He's honest. He's authentic. He's he's truthful with me. Now, when you read the Bible, there are many examples of good people, godly people, righteous people, who complained to God, who got frustrated, who doubted. One time, Jeremiah said, God, you deceived me. You tricked me into doing this. Naomi said, call me bitter because God has made my life bitter. And then David, this, this King David, this guy that we know as the man after God's own heart, said, you know, God, I've taken the worst you can hand out, and I've had it. Job may have questioned God, but he never stopped trusting God. Now, in Psalm 116, King David wrote this. He said, I believed in you, So I said, I am deeply troubled, Lord. That sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? I believe, but I'm troubled. In other words, I've got hope, but it's hopeless. It sounds contradictory, and you kind of ask yourself, well, what's going on there? 
it's actually a statement of faith. What he's saying is, I'm telling God that it's hopeless. Well, that in itself is a statement of faith because he's telling God, which means that he believes in God. I wonder, and I, I'm not saying this at all to be facetious. I, I really, this is a question that I've got. I wonder what, what atheists do when they get frustrated and angry at life. Where do they go with that? Or, or when things are going great, where do they go to say, you know, thank you? Who, who, who gets that expression of gratitude and, and thanksgiving? David's saying, I believe God loves me and I believe God can handle my frustration. So the first word is grieve. The second word when you're wounded and you want to worship is the word honor. That's the H. You honor God in the middle of your pain. What does that mean? It means that you praise God in spite of your circumstances. So you're going to grieve, and then you're going to honor God. And you say, God, I'm going to praise you in spite of my circumstances. I don't, I don't thank God for my problems, but I thank God in the midst of my problems. Now, the book of Job, and the whole story of Job, really, in the Bible, is, it's really out to, to, it's for this one question that I want to bring up to you right now. Here's the question. Will I worship God if everything goes wrong in my life? Would you? See, it's easy to worship God when everything's going your way. We can all do that. When we, we trust God, we believe in God, don't we? As long as it's all going my way and, and he's giving me everything I want. But what happens when it all goes bad? What happens when life suddenly takes a southward turn and we can't explain it? When it all falls apart and you've lost it all or you don't know which end is up. Do you still trust God then? Do you still praise God in those moments in spite of your circumstances? See, that's the ultimate test of your faith. And here's what I know. At some point, we are all going to have that test of our faith. At some point in your life, this is going to happen. Everything's going to fall apart. It may have already happened for you. You might say, Brett, that is so yesterday. I mean, it fell apart a long time ago. Everything's going to fall apart, and you're going to say, what just hit me? And this is a test. Will I trust God when everything goes wrong? You've probably figured out by now that you are not going to get everything that you pray for. Not everything that you ask for in your prayers gets answered with an affirmative, yes, I'm going to give that to you. Can you imagine what would happen if we got all of our prayers answered? We would be spoiled brats. You, you couldn't couldn't handle us we we basically we would turn god into a genie wouldn't we god's not a genie you don't rub the bottle and get three requests and god's you know like i'm here to give you whatever you want a genie serves you we as christians serve god god's not a genie he's not a vending machine he doesn't owe us anything we can ask for an explanation but a lot of times we're not going to get an explanation for the things that happen Here's what I know. No loving parent would ever give a child everything they asked for, right? You know better as a parent. It would spoil them rotten. Sometimes kids ask for things and the parent says, no, I'm, I'm not going to give you that. And they don't understand and they stomp their feet and they complain and they pout and they stick their lip out. They cry. And you say, you're just going to have to trust me on this. I know what's best for you, and this isn't best for you. 
You're five years old, you can't have a Harley. I'm sorry. That was good, wasn't it? <laughs> now, if you know that as a human parent, you know that giving your kids everything they want, you know that's not good for them. If you know that as a human parent, what makes us forget that when it comes to God? And we get frustrated with him when he won't give us the things that we want. And, and you know what? Quite honestly, if we're totally honest with God and honest with ourselves, we know a lot of what we're asking God for is not good for us. Not everything gets answered the way we want, and we're not going to get an explanation, so don't wait for an explanation. Most of the things that happen in your life will not be explained to you. And God doesn't owe us an explanation. He just wants you to trust him. One day in heaven, it's all going to make sense, and, and I, I could, I've got an illustration here, but I, I'm not going to use it. But one day, one day in heaven... It's, it's all going to make sense. It, it's gonna, it'll come in, into clear focus, and you're going to go, oh. You know, I, I would just say this, and this isn't in my notes, but I feel like I should say this. You might be going through something right now, and you might think it's the most horrible thing in the world. Let me just process this with you. Had you asked the disciples the Saturday after Jesus had been crucified, and you said, is the crucifixion a good thing or a bad thing, what would they have said? Horrible horrible worst thing that ever happened in the world is that the savior got killed if you'd asked them a week later is the crucifixion a good thing or a bad thing what would they have said the greatest gift god ever gave mankind was that jesus died for our sins now in the moment it looks horrible and you would look at it and you'd say there's no way that makes any sense at all a week later it looked entirely different that's all i'm saying what you're going through may never make sense to you in this world, but one day God's going to explain it to you in a way, and you're going to look at it and you go, oh, now I see. So how do you praise God? How do you praise God when you don't understand what's going on in your life? How do you thank God when your heart is breaking? How do you keep your eyes on God when your eyes are full of tears? How do you do that? You do what Job did. John, uh, Job chapter 1 he said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. The Living Bible says it like this, blessed be the name of the Lord. We sing that song, right? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Kyle's going to lead us in that at the end of the service. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Job said, it's all from God anyway. If I only get it for a little while, he gives it, he can take it away. He allowed it to me. He's going to take it away from me. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God says, I want you to trust me. Now, there are a lot of things that you can praise God for even when your life is bleak. The reality is this, that, that most of the time in life, it's not an either-or kind of thing. It's usually a both-and. There's usually some good stuff going on in your life at the same time that some stuff is really going south, Right? I mean, it might seem like everything's going south, but if you really take stock, usually what's going on in life is you got some things that are going really good, you got some things you're really thankful for, and then over here you got some stuff that's like, eh, I'd change that if I could. There are things right now in your world that are probably really, really good for you, and then there are probably some other things that you would be able to show me and say, Brett, this, this right here, if you could take this away, that'd be great. That's the reality of life. What can you praise God for when things are going bad? I've got a list to share with you this morning. I want you to see some things 
from the book of Job, all these can be found in the book of Job, things that you can be thankful for or you can praise God for in the midst of your struggle. First of all, you can know that he's a good and loving God. You need to know that God is all-powerful. You need to know and be thankful for the fact that God has control over every detail of life. He notices every detail. He's in control. God has a good plan for your life, and God wants to protect you. Job said, I can praise God for these things even when my circumstances are bad. Now, there was another guy in the Bible who praised God when things went bad. His name was, I've always called it Habakkuk. That's how I've always said it, Habakkuk. I learned this week that the way you say that is Habakkuk, right? That's just fun to say, you know, that's Habakkuk. So that's the Hebrew way to say it. Habakkuk is writing this small book at the end of the Old Testament, and and Israel is getting ready to be attacked. It seemed like that happened a lot. And they were wiping them out and, and killing all their people, and Habakkuk says, why is this happening? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why don't you stop this? He's honest to God, but he never stops trusting. He never stops trusting. At the end of the book in chapter 3, he says this, Even though the fig trees have no blossoms, and there are no grapes on the vines, even though the, the olive crops fail and the fields lie empty and barren, even though the flocks die in the fields and the cattle barns are empty, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in the God of my salvation. What's he doing? He's making a choice. This is not happiness. This is joy. Happiness is circumstantial. You have good times, you're happy. You have bad times, you're not happy. Happiness depends on your happenstance. And immature people spend their lives chasing after happiness. Mature people live lives of joy. And joy is a choice. They choose to rejoice. It's a matter of character. It's saying, I'm going to choose to rejoice even though everything in my life might stink right now. See, If you have to be happy all your life, that means everything has to be going your way. If if that's what happiness is, everything going your way, you're going to be unhappy much of your life because a lot of stuff is not going to go your way. Now, I'm not telling you something you don't know, right? You know this. These are the same things you tell your kids. You tell your kids you're not always going to get your way. It's interesting, isn't it, that we can tell those things to our kids, but we don't understand it when it comes to God. If you find yourself saying, I would be happy if, and then there's a blank you can fill in, just prepare for it. You're going to be an unhappy person because no one gets their way all the time. Choose joy. Choose to rejoice. That is the mark of maturity for the believer. Now, once in a while, someone will comment that they wish that my preaching was deeper. And so let's go deep for a moment, shall we? Let's go deep. Let's find out how mature we are. Could you, and, and, and how you answer this question tells me how mature you are, how mature I am. Could you with Job still choose to trust God even if you lost everything? How you answer that question says a lot about your faith. The next way you can worship when you're wounded is, is I. I. I stands for invoke. 
Invoke means that you ask God for strength and wisdom. It means that you appeal to somebody greater than yourself. You'll see this word invocation. You'll see that. Some, you used to see it a lot at graduations. You don't see it as much at graduation anymore. Sometimes at a sporting event, all you crazy NASCAR people, you, your sport still has invocations. Before the start of the race, they, some guy gets up and prays. Did you see the one a couple years ago with the preacher? I don't know where he, what church he has, but that has got to be one whacked out church. He thanked God for his smoking hot wife. Did you hear him? Oh, it was awesome. It was like, Google it. Google it. The preacher who prayed for his smoking hot wife at NASCAR. I'm telling you, entertainment at its finest. And then, and then you'll also see an invocation like at the, the inauguration of the president. There's an, there's an invocation. What that means is we're asking God for a blessing on this event. After I've grieved, after I've told God how I'm hurt, and after I've honored God and said I'm going to praise you in spite of the circumstances, then I invoke and I ask God for two things. Strength and wisdom. Strength and wisdom. Job had three friends, and these three friends were pretty good friends at the start, and they, they do okay until they start talking. And, then, and when they start giving advice, it kind of gets messed up. Job has lost everything. He's sitting on the ground in painful agony, grieving, hurting, suffering from illness. And these three friends came and sat with him for three, three days. For three days, they did not say a word. They just sat with him for three days. That's friendship. Friendship is when everybody else is walking out, they walk in. That's how you know who your friends are. When your friends encounter hardship or a loss or an illness, you don't have to always know the right thing to say. I think that's probably been the, one of the biggest, toughest lessons for me to learn as a pastor is that pastors, we're, we're taught to make a difference with our words and we're, we, you know, we think we have to be profound all the time. And what I'm learning, I'm in a lot of situations where I have no idea what to say. You know, my whole world is oriented to trying to help somebody. And when I'm in a situation where there, I, I feel like I don't have any way to help. And what we do oftentimes is we compensate by trying to talk. And I, I don't know about you, but I have found many times when I'm trying to talk in situations where there are no words, I step in it every time. So what I'm learning is just keep my mouth shut. I don't know how many times anymore I just say, look, I, I'm speechless. I don't know what to say to help you. I just want you to know that I'm, I'm here to help. If there's anything I can do, I'm here. Um, Job's friends aren't sitting down and saying, hey, look on the bright side. There was no bright side for Job. It was all bad. They didn't try to give an, a, a, a rationalization. They didn't try to explain it. They just sat there in silence with him. Sometimes that is the best thing you can do. Some of the best time I've ever spent in a dire situation in a hospital or at a funeral home were times where we just sat there in silence and nobody said a word. And that's the best thing you can do for a friend. When you're in that hospital room or you're in the funeral home, just be in there. What they need is your ministry of presence. They don't need you to talk. Eventually, Job's friends begin to speak, and when they do, they give some pretty bad advice, but at the, at the right time, they did say some good things. Job, Job, uh, Job's friend Eliphaz said this, but if I were you, I would call on God and bring my problem before him. Far too many people, when things are going south, turn away from God instead of turning to God. You need strength. You need wisdom. You need to know what to do and who, and who has the power to help you do it. You need wisdom. So when you get wounded, 
and you're not thinking straight, when you've been hurt and you start thinking goofy thoughts, and you think about retaliating, you think about getting revenge on somebody, you're not thinking clear. You need wisdom. Job 12 says this, True wisdom and real power belong to God. From him we learn how to live and also what to live for. We learn how to live and what to live for. That would help a lot of people if they could just learn that. How to live and what to live for. You need wisdom when you've been wounded. James says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. You also need to ask for strength. The power of God to do the right thing. Psalm says this, The Lord saves good people. He is their strength in times of trouble. Now, I don't know what problem you're going through this morning. I know in a room this size, there's, you, you've, some of you have gotten great news this week, and others, others of you got horrible news this week. Some of you are wondering what your reaction is going to be when you have to leave church today and go deal with whatever it is that you're dealing with. But here's what I want you to know. God waits to strengthen you. God loves you. God cares about that thing that you're worried about right now, and he waits to strengthen you. You see, following God doesn't mean we're better. I think that's one of the great misconceptions among people who don't go to church is that they look at us and they think that we think we're better than them. We're, we're not better than them. The difference is when you're, when you're a Christ follower, you have access to strength and power that God makes available to a believer. Following God ensures that you have access to wisdom and strength to help us handle the things that heal, to help us to cope, to help us get over the things that we encounter. If you're in a situation right now and you've been wounded or you're hurt or you're confused and you don't know what to do, if you are not worshiping, which means you're not asking God for wisdom and strength, I can tell you this, you're probably not sleeping good. If you're not worshiping through your woundedness, you're probably not sleeping very well. I talk to people who sometimes haven't slept well in months, and when you start to dig down and you start to kind of pull out some of the pieces, what you find out is that as they lay there at night, they're not worshiping, they're laying there trying to figure out how they're going to get revenge. They're laying there trying to figure out how they're going to get somebody back. They're laying there trying to decide whether or not they're going to forgive and whether or not the person on the other end of it deserves forgiveness. They're worried about how they're going to get them. How they can make a statement. How they can get on top. Doctors will tell you that, that worship actually calms you down. They've done studies. They've put uh, heart monitors on people before they were going into a worship service. And they've monitored them after the worship service. And what they found is that you, you're, you're better off after you've worshipped. Psalm 3 says this, I can lie down and go to sleep and I will wake up again because the Lord gives me strength. Fourth way you worship is J, you join. You got to get together with other people for support. You were never meant to handle all your life by yourself. You were never meant to share all your pain alone. Your, your wounds were meant to be shared in community with other people. You're never going to get well if you try to hide your wounds and try and keep it from everybody else and you don't let other people help you with it. God has wired us to need each other. 
It's human nature, I think. I know it is for me. Um, when you wound me, I kind of coil up. Is that you? You do that? You, when someone hurts you, do you just kind of coil up and you get silent and you don't, you don't say anything? Uh, God didn't make us that way. God, that's not a, that's, I, I say that about me. I don't, that's not bragging. That's not a good thing. Wish I could change that. What God wants me to do when I get like that is to tell him how I feel. Now, he didn't want me to take that out on somebody else. He says, Brett, when you're hurt like that, when you coil up, when you try to hide it from the rest of the world, don't hide that from me. Tell me. Let me know what's bugging you. You're never going to get happy. You're never going to get healthy again until you learn to open up and trust other people. Another of Job's friends was a guy named Elihu, and he gave Job this advice. Listen to this. Don't let your anger and the pain you endured make you sneer at God. Now listen to this. Your reputation and riches cannot protect you from distress. That's just a fancy way of saying that we all look silly in a hospital gown. That's what that means, right? I don't care how much money you got, what kind of car you drive, or what house you live in, when they put you in a hospital gown, you look silly. The thing open in the back, I've seen things in hospitals, you know, it's just I can't unsee them. My eyes, my eyes. He goes on, nor can you find safety in the dark world below. Be on guard. Don't turn to evil as a way of escape. He has insight into the human psyche. He knows that, that we get tempted to escape. I'm in pain. I'll go have an affair. I'm lonely. I'll go find a one-night stand. I'm in pain. I'm going to put this thing in my body. There are tons of evil ways to try to escape our pain. It doesn't work. He goes on, don't turn to evil as a way of escape. God's power is unlimited. He needs no teachers to guide or correct him. Others have praised God. Others have praised God for what he has done. So join with them. Don't join the wrong group. Join a good group. It amazes me to watch Christians sometimes when they get wounded, when they get hurt, when they go through stuff. And their response is to not go to church. I it just, I don't understand. When you're hurting, that's when you need the congregation the most. When you've had a bad week or a bad month or a bad life, that's when you need to make the extra effort to get here, to join with those who are praising, who are praying, who are encouraging, who will walk with you, put an arm around you, tell you they love you. I know I talk about this often, but you need to be in small group. You might think, no, I don't need to be in small group. You will eventually need a small group around you to help take care of you. So the next time we have small group sign up, you need to sign up and get yourself involved with a small group to help you. Psalm 63 says this, So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. Here's here's one more thing that you need to do. When you're wounded, keep on. Keep on. Did you know that persistence is a form of prayer? It's a physical prayer. Did you know that diligence and determination is dedication to God? It's devotion to God. Sometimes when you're wounded, you get the wrong advice. That's why you need to make sure you're getting advice from good people, from righteous people. Job got some really bad advice, and he got it, of all people, from his wife. No comments. Look at Job chapter 2. His wife said to him, Are you still trying to maintain your integrity? 
Curse God and die. Honey? But Job replied, you talk like a foolish woman. Should we accept only good things from the hand of God and never anything bad? So in all this, this is amazing. So in all this, Job said nothing wrong. I, I really don't get this part. God takes everything away from Job. He loses his, his wealth. He loses possessions. He loses family members. He loses his health. He loses all this stuff, but he leaves a nagging wife. That makes no sense, right? Come on, God. Come on. Do better than that. Now, the next verse I want you to see is one of my favorites in the entire Bible. I love this little passage of Scripture because it may well be the singular greatest profession of faith that you're ever going to utter. And this would be something that I think that you could memorize. You should memorize this. Look at this. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. You know what? I know some people say I don't preach very deep. I'll make a deal with you. You master that. You master that and then come see me about something deeper. That's as deep as it gets. When you can say that to God, that's maturity. When you can say that to God, now you're hitting on all cylinders. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Lord, I belong to you. I know you love me and I give you my trust. What gave Job that kind of faith and commitment? In Job 19, he tells us, I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. Job's looking for a coming Savior. He has hope. And because of that, he knows he can make it through the pain. I want to share one last verse of Scripture with you and then we're done. Isaiah 53 says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Look, I know you go through stuff. I know it's not easy. And I know that some of you in the room, even right now, your heart is breaking. Here's what you got to know. God loves you. God loves you. How do you know God loves you? God took his only son and put the penalty for your sin and mine on his son for you and for me. He has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And in that we have tremendous freedom. In that we have forgiveness of sin. In that we have a restored relationship with our Heavenly Father. And we never have to carry this stuff alone anymore. Whatever it is you're carrying, you've got to talk to God about it. You've got to trust Him with it. And you've got to know He's going to work things out for you. He loves you. He loves you. Let me pray over you, and then the band's going to come out and lead us out. Father, in this room at this moment, there are all kinds of hurts. Some people haven't even really been able to listen to me this morning because they can't get their mind off what's going on in their world. And I certainly understand that. Father, for the people in this room, some of them, it, life's great. They don't have a care in the world. And we rejoice with them. And we tell you, thank you, thank you 
Thank you for taking such good care of them. Father, there are people in this room whose hearts are breaking this morning. There are people in the room who don't know what's going to happen when they walk out the door. There are people in the room who feel lost. They're bewildered. they're, They're tempted to disbelief. And they're not sure you're there. And Father, I pray in this moment that you would come upon them and you would make them know that you are there. They would know they're loved. They would know there's a way. Father, in these moments, we just, we grieve before you. We tell you we've been wounded. We tell you we're hurt. Sometimes we just can't even stand up. We just kind of lean into things. And we, Father, in this moment, we lean into you. You are a good God. You have provided for us through Jesus. And it is in that powerful name that we pray this morning, thanking you for everything you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.